What's up, everybody? We want to take a minute to thank this week's sponsor, Common Thread Records. Common Thread Records is an indie label based out of Texas who's all about doing awesome things for awesome bands, and they want to tell you about some of those awesome things. Let's start off hot. They currently have the new House Parties LP, Tiny Rooms, up for pre-order on www.commonthreadrecords.com. The band Further North is about to release a new single and music video called Lighted Roads on August 5th. And last, but certainly not least, The Carousel Predicament just released their latest single and super funny music video, if you're asking for my opinion, called Chemistry, available exclusively on their YouTube channel. Thank you so much to the amazing team over at Common Thread Records for everything that they're doing for the scene and for sponsoring this episode. Now, let's get back to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Where Did All My Friends Go? A podcast about life in the music industry. Uh, today, Bear, this was great. Uh, this we awesome. just We just hung out with Brett Dittar from The Juliana Theory. Uh, and if you guys know, he was in Zao and he composes some pretty, some pretty movies. badass movies. You and I'm going to go myself. watch one of them, uh, as like, soon as we're done because it's this on intro. Netflix. I know, and we're going to do it. But I'm going to go watch do it. Do you want to know what movie it is? You'll have to tune in to find out. Yeah, so why don't we just get right into it and then, Barry, you can go play with your kid and I'm going to yeah. go watch a movie. Hell yeah, let's do this. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Where Did All My Friends Go, a podcast about life in the music industry. And today we have Brett Dittar. Uh, Brett is uh, a founding member of the Juliana Theory on uh, on the show. On the show. What did I say on the show? On, I don't our, care. on our show. On Brett, our thanks show. Thanks for joining Pat, us, man. How are you Pat, doing? Help me out. I don't know how to do this. I did it. I got Thank it. Thank you. Brett, how are you doing? <laughs> good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we are doing good. Bear is struggling I'm right now. I'm struggling. Like, this is... Yeah. <laughs> we all have to drink days. I'm just trying you know? to drink a Canada dry in peace. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so, for yeah, having Absolutely. 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 So, so let's just jump right into it, Pat. Yeah. Let's just get into it. So you guys uh, just recently released a new EP, Still the Same Kids Part 1, which is <clears throat> a first in the series of three EPs to be released. Uh, the EP starts with the single Playback 99 and flows seamlessly into Let's Talk. Can you tell us a little about uh, a little bit about this new record and what we can expect from the next part of the series? You know, I think like I, I, I feel like we we tried not to overthink about what we were doing too much and just tried to make stuff that we liked. And I feel like in general, the kind of the history of the Juliana theory is always that we would, we, we, we got bored pretty easily and, and would always kind of change our sound to a degree between every record we did. Mm -hmm. And this just so happened to be like 15 years between. So right. it, it, we had to kind of think like, okay, are we going to intentionally hardcore reference certain eras of our past or are we going to just basically try to sound like what we think, like just make what we like right now. And we right. just kind of chose to, 
to to do the second. And I think you know, I think there's there's very obvious nods to eras of the band's past, mm-hmm. but at the same mm-hmm. time, it, it still feels like you know, it, it feels like to me like if we hadn't broke up and we had kept making records, you know, it's probably what we would have sounded like by now or whatever. I, I yeah, I guess it's it's the second EP is is um. I, it rocks more than the first one. Uh, okay. It's a it's a bit heavier, but um, it's not like yeah. It's it's and then the the third one is kind of also in a different direction. So they all all three of them sort of have their own kind of personalities in a way. Sure. But okay. Yeah, we just you know we we've always been a kind of band who gets who who gets bored easily and likes to experiment and try different things and and not like settle on a sound too yeah. much per se. so would you consider these uh these eps to be uh somewhat of a concept album is that uh, is that something that you guys were shooting for or is that something that uh, you haven't even considered no it it i would say that it is but in a very very loose term it doesn't okay. have a narrative it's not like you know it's not like pink floyd the wall where it has sure. over our arching narrative that that continues through the entire thing but i would say that thematically most of the songs tie into a a a couple sets of general overall ideas that i would have really been thinking about a lot the last couple years and so yeah and so then then sorry go ahead pat oh i was just going to say so one of the things i enjoyed just about this new ep is is right out the gate those two first songs that i even acknowledge the playback 99 and less talk playback uh feels a lot more of a nod to like those you know those early days and then less talk has just such a like a a good groove to it yeah thank you i appreciate that um i feel like you know to me like less talk so so josh and i kind of like you know we grew up really listening to but it's like before we discovered hardcore and and punk rock and mm-hmm. underground music our original roots were just honestly like listening to listening to like radio pop rock you know we grew mm-hmm. up with we grew up in that era to where you know our parents might have been playing motown around the house or whatever but if we turn on the radio like before grunge happened in a way like we were listening to we were listening to tears for fears and we were listening to Genesis mm-hmm. and we were listening to, you know, Phil Collins and we were listening to all these, mm. there was like this era of, of pop rock kind of like all over, you know, even like Duran Duran and Depeche Mode and just so right. much stuff yeah. in that kind of world. And I feel like that's really our earliest roots. And we never went too deep into kind of like kind of treading those waters. But I, mm-hmm. I feel like, it's, it's, it's hard to say this without it's hard to say this without sounding dismissive in a way but like i'm not as i don't think the idea of being super pissed off as a 40 year old white man is as good of a vibe for us i just yeah. don't feel like i feel like we don't I, I just don't feel like we have really the right in a way and i just don't feel like that's what the energy that we personally need to be putting out into the world at this moment in time. So I kind of like the idea of some of that, you know, a lot of that music we grew up with has like, like you said, it, it had 
groove was super important but, but a lot of that music was like feel good but feel good in a way that it was also really bittersweet like you could sort of have this cross between this sort of these would be like upbeat songs but they would still sometimes have really dark chords or dark melodies or maybe you're yes. or maybe it's a major key song and you, it sounds really positive but if you actually listen to the lyrics they're actually talking about yeah. something pretty heavy emotionally and so we just kind of tried to you know dig more into that kind of vibe in general yeah and it's funny that you mentioned something about that because like um i don't know if you're ever on on tiktok at all but and i think i, I actually I made it is, yeah. yeah um but there was this video that i saw this guy uh and it it wasn't it wasn't fact it was just uh he was he was pointing out something that he found very obvious and it was like talking about the, the the music industry in today's age looking for the next hit and looking at how they have to be uh to how they seem to be super attractive super good looking super marketable just as their image and he's like can you imagine if we took today's music industry marketing and threw it towards like bands or artists like phil collins can you like i mean phil collins is a powerhouse of a musician he's smart he's kind he's a genius but like six out of 10 in the looks, you know? And, it, and it, there was like, he kept going on about all these things of how like these older musicians were making these incredible songs. And it was all about how they took their life experience. And instead of, you know, talking about like what you you're t- saying here is instead of saying, Oh, we used to do this back then. This is how we used to feel. They stopped and they started writing about, things that were either applied to them or that meant more to the people around them rather than just what they experienced as a, as a kid or experienced as a young adult. And that's to like, that's what drove me to their music, but it's also a very good possibility that that's why their music career lasted as long as it did. Because even as we're talking and thinking now, a lot of questions that I ask bands that I work for is what are you doing in terms of longevity? Because you kind of hit the nail on the head, but dude, I don't know if I want to be in a pop punk band singing about my ex-girlfriend at 17 when I'm 40, you know, <laughs> like I don't, you know, it, it, the time and place, you got to learn to be able to, to, to grow. And I love hearing that coming from a musician such as yourself from a band such as the Juliana theory. I think that's incredible. And it's really awesome to hear that that kind of mindset is out there. It's still being portrayed in the music that I listen to. That's awesome. So thank you. No, I appreciate that. I, I just think, I think in general, there's, you know, it's like there is so much great music that is happening one degree left or right or two degrees left or right from the absolute mainstream. And in a way, there's like way more than ever. And yeah. so I feel like, I feel like, if you're authentic to yourself, whoever you are as a person, whoever you are as an artist, there's going to be some people out there that will relate to it. And I think the era of trying really hard to kind of like shoehorn yourself into a particular sound or whatever, it might work. It might work if you're 17 and you have major label backing and they're, they're spending a million dollars to market you. But right. otherwise now is the time to just be like this is who i authentically genuinely am and so just be that and and hopefully it'll find its market and it might not be this giant thing that 
blows up. But you look at it, it's like if you make something good and if you make something like really good and timeless, it, it can stand the test of time. I mean, we're literally seeing this. We're, we're witnessing, you know, I've loved Kate Bush for years, but yeah. you're literally there's an entire generation of people now that have made a song that was never never a huge hit in America. Now is like number one on the charts one. and is like the biggest mm-hmm. song yep. of the year almost because because a it was a timeless song and obviously you know being on like the biggest show on netflix is what made it happen but if that song hadn't been awesome in the first place that wouldn't have happened so it's like you know you just got to make stuff that's 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 good and hopefully it'll find its its audience hopefully as since you brought up the kate bush i did want to bring uh it makes me think of there was a meme i saw with it that it's like just hits the nail on the head it's just so perfect it's the picture of marty mcfly you know from you know back to the future and he's like you know talking about how yeah it's it's kind of weird right now but your kids are gonna love it exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) trust me your kids will love it man it's true and like to think about like just to put a put a final nail in that coffin but to to think about the the impact that just TikTok has alone over over making something like that back into the charts, which yeah. is insane. It's crazy. So, yeah. So let's hop back in or let's hop into like kind of the early days. The Juliana theory formed for people that may not know, formed in 1997, was actually a side project originally. Um, can you tell us a bit about those early days and how you began doing the Juliana theory full-time? Well, yeah, it was, it was totally a joke. Um, you know, we didn't have any, we, everybody in the band had like their quote unquote real bands. So right. a, a couple of the guys were in like a, a really kind of like lookout records-y kind of pop punk band. And then I was in this metalcore band called Zeo oh, and yeah. Um, you know, and then, then there was another band that we had that was like this sort of like early, early, like screamo before screamo was a thing kind of band. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. was all our like main bands. And we were like, Oh, let's, let's play like a couple shows and do a three song demo tape and just like make this fun band with some of our friends from like different bands and like, let's all put it together. And some of us will play instruments we've never played before. Like I was, I had never been a singer. And I was just like, well, I'll sing, I guess. We need somebody to sing. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, you know, like we had no, we had no intentions of like doing anything really beyond playing like one or two local shows. And then, so how on earth we're, we're um, at this point is, is wild. You know, it's pretty wild to me. So. Yeah. And so I, I guess even, so with that, just hopping into one of my next questions. So before, you know, going into you know full-time with juliana theory you you mentioned you were with uh one of the most influential metalcore bands of all time zeo uh what made you want to completely switch gears stylistically and what did that look like in the eyes of the scene at the time did you have fans that followed over to the new project okay so it i joined zeo and we started the Juliana theory the same week. Um, okay. oh. So both oh, wow. happened simultaneously. <laughs> and 
the first Juliana theory practices, the very first practices happened without me on my very first Zeo tour and they recorded like the stuff and like would send me like instrumentals. And so it was literally for me, it was both were happening at the exact same time. It's just that, or, you know, originally it was like Zeo was the, like, that was the existing band that already had a fan base. And, and, you know, I joined when they already had a fan base and like, you know, they're already touring and whatever, but I, you know, I loved being in Zeo and it was fantastic, but there was, um, you know, it was like, it was interesting. I've already talked about the fact that I get bored pretty easily musical, like pretty, I get bored quickly in a way musically, which is one of the reasons I think I'm a film composer now is because you get to change things up all the time between Mm -hmm. projects and it's great, but it's like, I, I remember loving like, you know, the record we made where blood and fire bring rest and thinking like it was awesome. But at the same time, I remember also immediately feeling really limited, like, well, every song has to be heavy. Every song has to have a breakdown. Every song has to have these crazy double bass parts or whatever. And I was like, you know, what if, what if I wanted to have an acoustic song or what if I want to do something like really mellow, but then it gets heavy. And like, it felt like in a way it felt sort of limiting and, I kind of felt like with the Juliana theory, I sort of felt like there was more, there was more potential to be able to like try different things and, and to, to, to like do, you know, just spread our wings in different directions. And so one of the main reasons like I like left was for, for that reason. And there was some, you know, there was some headbutting personality was at that point in the band, which also kind of, contributed to me like leaving but uh you know we were we were so young and we were just all kids trying to figure out you know all of us like leaving home for the first time and everything so it was like just dumb it was like truly just dumb kid stuff to be honest but you know yeah it was it there really was a there really was like every night when juliana theory would start like playing after i quit zeo every single night for maybe a year people would yell zeo in between songs <laughs> and it was like a thing and we definitely we definitely got a fan base of new fans but then we definitely had people every single night that would be like yeah i never listened to an emo band before i you're the first band i ever listened to was singing or like whatever so it was <laughs> like so we definitely helped like convert some people to like slightly more melodic music which was which was fun and you know I, I think it was like but that was you know that was always the cool thing about like that you know that era of the scene is there was mm-hmm. always this cross-pollination of like bands that didn't necessarily fit together like we used to the juliana theory used to open for zeo when i was in both bands oh wow and I, we probably did maybe 10 or 15 just like shows where i would you know do double duty and we would do both and and it seemed like maybe it wasn't 10 or 15 but there was a lot and and it always was like you know fun and it seemed like audiences mostly sort of understood it at at that point because it was like you know you think about like there was there was always this sort of it felt to me it sort of felt like there was a pipeline at that point in time between like bands that went from being heavy to sort of being 
less heavy or there was like a right. you know there was just a thing with that mm-hmm. kind of like you could be you could be you could go to a hardcore show and you could see like you know it wouldn't be it wouldn't be weird to have a hardcore show in southern california and to have sensefield playing it and it wouldn't be you know weird to go to a, a hardcore festival and see like the see like braid and you know texas is the reason and the promise ring playing right. next to like uh, you know earth crisis and strife <laughs> right. or whatever it just that it just well made sense for some reason i don't know we, we've talked about that a few different times on the on the show to where like back in you know in those the early 2000s late 90s and stuff like that there was it, it was cool for bands to of multiple genres to do that and to play the same show that's one of the things that we even started like with unsigned pop punk for is though pop punk's in our name that's that's not what we just focus on we focus on the scene in total which you know includes you know emo ska post-hardcore you know and and pop punk you know because we wanted to bring back the feeling of that scene that inclusive scene it was it it was inclusive and it didn't it didn't usually there would be pockets there were certain cities which will remain nameless (laughs) that where where you could get beat up maybe if you didn't have the right outfit on or you weren't wearing or you weren't like in the right scene but in in general it felt to me there were clicks don't get me wrong there were definitely clicks but it did still feel that the over like the the wider kind of overall vibe was this is it's cool to to like you know have this cross pollinization yeah, of like different things together it's cool to like multiple types of music yeah it's okay yeah <laughs> so and since you talked about you know like just even how you leaving zayo and moving on with that so the juliana theory you, you guys went on hiatus in around 2006 officially it looked seems right return oh yeah it was in, it was very official yes yeah. and very officially returned in 2020 with the release of can't go home and signing to equal vision uh would you be able to tell us uh, a bit about why you why uh you guys bro- uh, went on hiatus and what prompted the return okay so i i feel like you know we i feel like the, you know the band started when we were anywhere from 14 to 20 years old like uh, when when we started the way we had we had literally our our one guitar player was like 14 and our drummer was 16 and i think i was 18 and it was like we were you know we were totally kids and we ended up going for like nine i think we went like nine years as full-time touring and recording full-time we had signed like four record deals and we had Mm -hmm. been like you know we had toured just non-stop for nine years and i think you know we hit we hit a plateau at a certain point a couple of years before we broke up and we could feel where it felt like things were getting worse. And I, I always like liken it to the, to the movie Spinal Tap and like Spinal Tap is like the whole movie is like, is the, is watching this like second half of a band's career, like after they plateaued and then they're just like, kind of like going the, you know, they're playing the smaller room that they used to play when they're starting out and like, Mm -hmm. and you feel it. And I think like we were starting, I think we were starting to get to that point. And I think like, you know, we just burnt out an audience. Like if you tour, if you do three U S tours a year, 
and you do that for nine years straight, it's like at some point there's no scarcity anymore. It's just like, yeah, I mean, yeah. like how many times can we see these guys? And, and I think mm-hmm. that some of us were getting wanted a little bit more, um, you know, security in life or wanted to be able to be home more often. And, and so it just felt like we had come to that point where it just felt like we came to that point to like, this is the time to kind of like let it go. And I had, you know, fully accepted that for a long time and was kind of very much at peace with that and didn't figure that we would ever really do anything again. Mm. And we ended up doing in, in 2010, we ended up doing a, um, a 10 year reunion of uh, emotion is dead. And we did like, I think six shows or something like that. And that, you know, that ended up being really cool and we had a great time. It was really fun. But then I figured we would never do anything again after that. Fast forward to 2019 and Josh Fiedler, who had always like, you know, he and I go back to like, you know, we went back, we go to high school together and everything and we've been friends forever, but he would always be the one who was always kind of the most like, yeah, we should, we should do more band stuff. And I would always be kind of like, eh, I don't know. I don't want to do it. And in 2019, I had just, I had basically was just finishing up scoring. Um, I think it was like two movies back to back. And I was kind of like burnt out on being in the studio. And uh, this band, the Spill Canvas, offered us to open for them on tour acoustic. And we had never nice. really played acoustic ever. And so we knew it, you know, it didn't make sense to, didn't make sense for all of us to, to, to like to go out as a five piece, even though we actually, you know, talked to everybody and wanted to see like, you know, any who all wanted to do it and end up basically just being me and Josh were the only ones who wanted to do it were available. Okay. I didn't put much stock into it. And, and like, I, like, after I said, yes, it was like a couple months before the tour. And I, and I started like, honestly, I was like kind of like dreading it. And I thought this is dumb. Like, why are we going to play these songs? Like, you know, and like whatever. And, and we started rehearsing and we, we changed the arrangements of everything. We kind of, we didn't treat them like we're going to play this exactly the same way we would but on acoustic guitar, we're like, no, how do we approach these songs if we were at at like a campfire or if we were like sitting around in a, in a living room, like playing the songs, let's think about each song in a different approach. Kind of like, you know, in the way like MTV unplugged would do in the like classic era. And so we, we approached the songs in a different way and it, and it seemed really fun. And we ended up like, you know, going out on the tour and it's just the two of us in just like an SUV and it ended up being like the simplest, maybe most fun tour like yeah. I had ever been on. We got along flawlessly the whole time. We we had so much fun. It was so easy just going in like, you know, going in a, a simple vehicle as opposed to like a, a big van and trailer or a bus or whatever. And, you know, every night people would come up to us and, you know, tell us, oh, you know, this this song meant so much to us or we met i we met our spouse at your show or we named our kid after you or you know like crazy things and like would thank us for doing it and and it just felt really you know we just felt a lot of gratitude for being able to to come back and play shows and have people care and have people be stoked and you know josh and i just got along so well and just had so much fun that 
it just kind of grew out of that like the idea of let's yeah why don't we you know try to make some new stuff and kind of go from there wow and now here we are that's that's awesome like and yeah and now we're here so with that you've brought up actually a couple times now you are also an accomplished film composer uh most notably horror movies uh that i was able to find such as the devil inside where brahms the boy 2 uh separation and the unreleased prequel orphan first kill yeah, and that, there's a there's a there's another there's another one in the in in almost in the can that I can't talk about yet. But oh, I, I don't know if I would say <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know if I would say I'm uh I'm accomplished, but I'm figuring it out as I go. Like I mean, I, these are some pretty cool movies, man. <laughs> I thank mean, you appreciate it. Absolutely. So how how is the process for composing music for a movie differ from you know writing rock music? It's very different. Um, it's 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 substantially different because when when you are writing for picture, you have your job is to tell a story, and your job is to help tell the story that the filmmaker, filmmakers, director, producers, actors, actresses are trying to tell, and your job musically is to you know in each scene and each sequence to kind of make things that propel that story forward and tell, Mm -hmm. tell whatever story that the filmmakers are trying to tell. And so it's obviously you're trying to make the music as cool or as an inspiring or as interesting and fun to you as you can. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter as much as moving the narrative along and helping tell the story. So you have to approach it in a completely different way even though it's like you're using the exact same building blocks it's the exact Mm -hmm. same fundamental you know it's like it's like if you're using exactly the same ingredients but what you what you're doing with them has to serve a somewhat different purpose even though you know like you can listen to a lot of good scores and soundtracks on on their own and if they're if if the music is good it can stand on its own but at at the heart of it, it was created to kind of tell a story. And so you're, it's, it's comes from a different approach. And also you're, uh, you know, like I'm more at the mercy of, of what like the director wants is much more important than Mm -hmm. what I want. Whereas like in like a band project or like, you know, your artist project, you kind of usually the artist has the final say and, you know, like writing to picture the degree of control you have is less because it is more collaborative and you are not the boss when, you know, the composer is not the boss, whereas like the band is the <laughs> boss of the band, but the, the composer right. is not the boss of anything. So, that's right. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's awesome. Like I, I, I'm not going to lie before I started working on this interview, I was not aware that you would, uh, were a composer, especially for not like these movies. And, I myself am a very big horror movie fan. Um, and so there's a couple movies in here that I'm really excited to like go check out, uh, especially Sweet. now and, and listen to it. Cause like the Brahms the boy too, I didn't even, I just actually saw that it was on a streaming service. I didn't know it was out. Yeah. Yeah. It was, no, it came out. It actually came out in theaters. Like I swear to God, one or two weeks before 
COVID lockdown started. Mm-hmm. So it was the last, the last thing I got to do before COVID was like, was like have a premiere. Like I went right. to a premiere and like saw it in theater and whatever. And then like everything like locked down like right after. But yeah, it came out on it came out on Netflix like a, a couple a couple weeks ago. And like nobody, yeah. I nobody tells me these things. I never know. <laughs> and then suddenly like people are sending me screenshots of like, oh my gosh, the top five on Netflix. And I'm like, what? I didn't even yeah. know it was on Netflix. And it's, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. I didn't either. So I've, I've seen the first one. I hadn't seen this one. So uh, we just, me and my wife just saw that it popped up on Netflix. And I was like, oh, I guess I know what we're doing tonight. Oh, sweet. <laughs> awesome. That's our plan. So very excited to check that out. Um, we have one more question. Then we're going to go to break and move on to our next segment. Cool. Um, if you can give our listeners a piece of advice that you know now that you wish you had known when you were first starting out, what would that be? Oh boy. <laughs> oh, there's so many. And right. You know what? You what? Here's what I would say. First of all, and it goes very much into what I was saying earlier. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks that you should be doing creatively Mm -hmm. make the thing that you love and make the thing that you love and that you believe in and like fight for that as hard as you possibly can don't be afraid of course to to get to get criticism or critique from people that you look up to and get opinions from people but but stick to your guns like do what what it is you love and make that thing and at the same time there's no shame in there's no shame in having to like there's no shame in having a job that pays for other things in your life. And like, don't put this crazy undue pressure on yourself to make your entire living from music or to make even any money from music. Like that's, I think it get, that gets in a way for a lot of people. And it's like, yeah. I honestly think like I've told people recently, I've, I've had this conversation a lot. Like, I make music as of my full-time living. All of my money comes from music and nothing else. And I would not wish that on anybody that doesn't have a really strong um, stomach in a way. Like you have to be willing to like suffer to be able to do that. And if you could say, if you could, if you're a person and you could be like, I could be totally happy working a regular job and making music on the weekends and in the evenings if you could be totally happy doing that and like by all means 100% do that there's no shame in that and that's like in a way like don't rush to the idea of like i have to like fully make this my career right now like like don't don't rush into that so yeah that's my advice and and that's that's great advice i mean being a full-time musician now i i i never was able to get to that that point but uh being a full-time musician is one of the hardest career paths i think you can take i mean other than being like a doctor and things like that as well um but it is it is so difficult to not only make it but i mean your entire time you're trying to make it is all about you dedicating your time your money your sanity (laughs) Uh, all into trying to make this career happen that may not ever happen. And it's also percentage wise, there's very few careers out there where the person who creates a thing, at least within the traditional 
a music industry model where a person who creates a thing gets such a small percentage of the profit of that thing that they created from thin air. It's like you literally could be like, I made this, I created this song from thin air and produced it myself and whatever. And then after all is said and done, you might make 7% of the total money that comes in from it based on after you, you know, sign a record deal and whatever and have a management deal and whatever. And it's like, it really, the math is really not in the favor of, of modern musicians. So it's just yeah. really, it's not an easy, it's not an easy uh, path it's, in that regard. No, absolutely. It's not, not an easy path, but it's one that it, it's also one that you can't tell a person not to take. And it's also so rewarding to do regardless of the outcome. Exactly. And that's the most important thing. It, it almost, you almost kind of have to divorce yourself from the idea of success and whatever that means to you. And just the idea of just making it and bringing it into the world and like just putting it out there is, is like such a, even just doing that alone is such a success that it's kind of like, yeah, you just got to kind of count, count any, any little, any little victory as a victory. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, I, I definitely agree with that. Okay, well, with that, uh, we're going to go to a quick break, uh, and then we'll be right back. Hey, Pat here with Unsigned Pop Punk. We're a community dedicated to building up the music scene by shining a spotlight on up-and-coming bands. Now, I know what you must be thinking. These guys must be raking in the cash. Wrong. But you can help us help others by picking up some merch. We found what big business is selling shirts for, and we slashed the prices. We saw what people are charging for sweatshirts, and we windmill kicked those prices in the face. So pick up some merch from us today. You won't be mad you did. And we're back. Uh, man, it's been a great interview so far. Thanks so much, Brett, for being on the show uh, and taking time to chat with us. Thank you. We are going to hop right into our next segment, which is the obscure, obscure question segment. Um, since we've discussed your, your career now, we're just going to move on to just random questions that we've thought of that kind of give more of a little insight or into something that you might not have even thought of. Um, so the first question on here is if you had to pick one yard game to play every single day, rain or shine, what would you pick? Badminton. Badminton. It's a great choice. Uh, I actually had like a really nice badminton set and, uh, the children broke it. I mean, you said yard. If you would have said outside game, I would have said street hockey for sure, or, or roller hockey. But since you said yard, I, I had you can't uh, you can't really play street hockey in a yard. So yeah. I'm if you got, I guess I had, I guess. Well, I mean, it's no. <laughs> right, all that's telling me is that you don't have a very good imagination. <laughs> like, my, my man, <laughs> I will show you how to play some yard hockey. <laughs> Nice. You can play yard <laughs> hockey. It's just I really like to play it with skates, and so it gets yeah. it gets a lot harder once you get like for you sure, yeah. for sure. Going through uh, going through the grass on skates. <laughs> this, let me let me introduce to you a game that my brothers and I uh, uh, invented, and I'm sure it's not original, but it's called flinch ball. 
Okay. Oh, well, the name is probably. <laughs> you can get as much as you need to out of the name. Um, basically, the goal was to stand about uh, 25 feet away from each other and throw a football as hard as you can to the other's <laughs> crotch. And if it hit your crotch and flinched, you lost. But if it hit your crotch and you won, or, and you didn't flinch, you won. So um, I'd play that rain or shine any day. Wow. That sounds fucking stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, like you're talking to a kid who, like, who didn't grow up with any TV and six brothers. <laughs> like, wow. we did that makes stupid sense. shit. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Y'all want to so, see how fast you could hit a tree with a bike? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah. Doing just doing jackass. That's basically. <laughs> basically, sounds... I, lived, I lived jackass. <laughs> so. There's a game, I don't remember, I don't know what anyone else calls it, but uh, my brother had taught, taught, taught it to me, it's called Beersby. Um, Beersby. And I think this is one of the most fun, like, yard games I've ever played. So I always play it, you, the, you're supposed to, like, drink and play it, but I, you don't have to. Uh, I prefer to not be drinking when I'm playing it. Um, but what you do is it's basically made out of PVC pipe, you have one pole on each end and on the top of the pole is an empty bottle and so your goal is you can play with one or two people and your goal is you, you have a frisbee and you're going to try and knock the the bottle off of the pole and so you can be the goalie you have to stand behind the pole and uh and if the frisbee touches the ground that's one point so you gotta catch it and if the bottle touches the ground, that's two points. So you can you can catch both of them, but you can't step in front of the uh, pole until the bottle is knocked off. Then you hmm. can try and catch it. And and the other thing that makes it difficult is you have to have something in one of your hands. Okay, Brett, oh, does wow. this sound overly complicated? I mean, I'm 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 trying to envision it. It it sounds. A little bit. It, it sounds a little complicated. It sounds but, a little know. complicated. <laughs> it literally I mean, once. I mean, it's a drinking game, so it's not that complicated, right? Like you have to. <laughs> it has to be somewhat simple. But I feel like right. once, like once we start doing it, it'll be so much easier. Like, oh yeah, yeah I understand the concept. Yeah, this is easy. <laughs> oh yeah, it's super easy once you once you get it. Once you like once you play literally one round, you're like, yeah. okay, got it. Yeah, but it's right. super fun. Well, Brett, I have the next question for you. What is the most obscure item that you have ever purchased while at a garage sale or a thrift store? Oh boy. Um, well, I've bought a lot of vintage things in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I used to own a vintage store. Oh, that's so, right. Wow. Um, wow. Nothing sticks out. I'm really thinking like, uh, some of my favorite for a while okay I, there were two things i collected that i don't collect anymore one was really weird taxidermy um so <laughs> awesome you know once i had like i got all kinds of things but but one that stands out to me was a full was a full coyote like entire oh, okay and that was pretty awesome but then like i also would get like really weird space age electronics so like record players that like looked like 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 a bubble dome kind of That's thing awesome. like really like literally stuff that looked like it was from what they thought a spaceship would look like in 1965 so like that i like some weird things like that basically i love that um 
I am currently on the lookout for a jackalope. So, um, <laughs> hell yeah, they're not too hard to find. You'll you'll find jackalopes if you if, if you look around, especially like if you go and you know if you go to the southwest and you know like in that general area yeah. of the country, they'll stay. That yeah. makes sense. I've like- I've seen I've seen them around, just not not in my price range yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's more the biggest uh concern for me i think i i just want to tell you what my my uh most obscure uh thrift store find i think was a it's um it's a dog that is carved out of uh, out of bone and it that, that just seems cruel it looks it, well it's i mean i would assume that that the bone was not a part of a living. No, person. no, I, I'm just, I'm just sitting but... here like you know, dogs are always trying to get bones, and yet now oh. he's <laughs> making a dog out of a bone yeah. that he can never have. It is definitely <laughs> what I would consider a cursed object. It, <laughs> it, probably, it, uh, it definitely looks cursed. That's Barry. You though. got anything? I mean, I, I wouldn't say obscure. I just like finding things that just people like. I don't know. Overlook. Like sure. you know, uh, whether it's like a vintage Hot Wheel, or like or uh, or some weird furniture, or like like a comb that like is just I don't know weird a comb. Yeah, like I just like I just okay. like weird like really <laughs> weird things. Like most people wouldn't like it. Like um, for example, like I have um, I have a hand drawn with marker uh, picture of Gandalf the Gray. Like just chilling that that uh friend of mine found for me and i was like yeah that's exactly, that's exactly I what i that. want you know it doesn't have any like rhyme or reason it's just i like it so i want it sure <laughs> so i typically if, if you can't see there back there brett I, I typically look for old action figures that's what's behind me love uh, that that's 80s, great 80s 90s action figures that's kind of he-man mostly that's my thing um or video games old video games yeah, um so we got one more question, and then we'll move on to the last segment, Rapid Fire. Um, what is one album that you love, but most people you think would find as a surprise? As a surprise? Oh, boy. Hmm. <laughs> um, just it's, it's like it depends. Like, if you really know me, then you know that I like I like I secretly love melodic death metal and yes awesome. it's like and so that's not really a surprise and then it's like if you if you like sort of pay attention to the obscure part of my career you'll know that I put out like two country records so I like love a lot of like old country stuff so that wouldn't be a surprise and then it's like all the classic stuff that like everybody likes wouldn't be a surprise so <laughs> so I'm almost like wondering if there are any surprises <laughs> like i like don't, don't feel like anything is that there any surprises, surprises just left. none left there's none left <laughs> you've, you've uh, done it like, all i feel like okay so one of my favorite records of all time is not an obscure record in the slightest it's it's um but i was at we played furnace fest last year in yep. um in alabama and i got interviewed and you know somebody asked me what my favorite record of all time is and I said what my favorite record of all time is, which to me is a, a very well-known record by a very famous artist. And 
the people interviewing me were like, oh, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, I've never heard of that. I have need to listen to it. And it's, it's Harvest by Neil Young. And so I was okay. like, okay, so that's what? totally like, that's totally obscure to people at Furnace Fest, then, then I don't know. So I have no idea. So maybe that is surprising. But that album is entirely just a solid album through and through. It's amazing from start to finish. There's no it's, bad songs. I didn't no really. Skips. Yeah, it's awesome. And and so you on that note, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull one out bear that I don't think you would that uh, we've ever talked about either. Typically, uh, people we've asked questions like this before, so our, our listeners know that I am a big Taylor Swift fan. It's true. However, um, I think one of my favorite records of all time is Heartbreaker by Ryan Adams. Oh my god. I was just listening to that three weeks ago. It's every song on there is just awesome. To be honest, my favorite album though, Pat, you'll know this. It's uh, more than you think you are by matchbox 20. Yep. I'm sorry. I I, I'm going to be honest. I've never listened. I have never listened to anything from matchbox 20 ever other than the hits that I've heard. Sure. 750 million what times. you mean is, is, which, is the hits, which, the, which is like almost every song on an album yeah. pretty much <laughs> yeah it's all their hits all their songs are literally hits it's it's pretty damn close <laughs> that happened at the same time almost as the first third eye blind record and oh, gosh. yeah it's true like, zeo and zeo one of my first and second tour with that band and early juliana theory we were obsessed with the first third eye blind record and we used to get like completely crucified though. In every town we would go to, we would tell people like, "We're the, here's this like metalcore band showing up," and everybody would be like, "Uh, yeah, well, you know, what, what are you are you guys listening to uh, Unbroken?" And we're like, "No, we're listening to Third Eye Blind." And we would just people would be mortified literally every right. day. And then but, like it changed, and you could see like people getting like really into the record. But like, yeah, that was that yeah. same era where every song was like. Those bands had like Matchbox 20, Third Eye Blind, that's, like every single song was a hit. That's got I that same like, energy that like uh, that me and my band would have when we were on tours. Like, because we were like a pop punk, pop rock band. And, um, you know, they're like, oh, you guys must like love pop punk. It's like, yeah, we do. But like, what do you listen to in the car? I'm like, honestly, dude, musicals. You should watch me and my buddy Alec <laughs> jam out to high school musical. I'm not even shitting you right now. Like, we're going to fucking go. <laughs> and I, I think that's a that's an honest like honest thing that uh, most musicians do do like you know when you're on tour you're playing like it's if you're in a metal band you know you're you're playing metal listening to metal usually you're not going to listen to it in the car at yeah. that point you you yeah. you branch out and listen to other and at the same time the road is like your only entertainment so I don't really want to hear about somebody's breakup song. 17 times in a row for the first two hours like when you when you listen to a musical honestly you get to basically <laughs> relive the story so and i'm not even just talking about like high school you're, you're musical, pushing right? your musicals no, right dude, now dude i'm talking i'm sitting here listening to les miserables <laughs> like i'm sitting here going oh i know what scene this is this is where this is where the revolution begins and they're at the barricade in france you know what i mean like i'm there also, it's 2 a.m. in the morning and I'm in the middle of fucking Kansas. Like, it's, it's, I don't know, it just becomes a new form of entertainment instead of having to listen to like uh, pop punk breakup songs. That <laughs> totally checks out. 
<laughs> it checks out. Like I can I can get behind that. Like I, I really can because I'm I'm a big advocate for like audiobooks. I really like audiobooks. Hundred yeah, percent. Like a different way to go about that. Dude, I listened to Les Miserables the whole entire way up to Minneapolis when we went out to when we went to So What uh, Music Fest. It was the whole whole time. That's what I was listening mm-hmm. to. My um, I have a friend in Los Angeles where I live who um, ha- in the last couple of years has basically um, created a genre defying musical that is beyond description and it's unlike anything that you've ever seen or heard in your life but it is under the umbrella of a musical and it's called cages and if you're ever in la you have mm. to go see it if you like musicals which you do so i think like i do yeah, i'm actually to, like you have it, to check it out it is my uh, life's goal to uh write a musical um it's based on it's my life's goal is to get like three friends to help me write a musical to the soundtrack of um uh oh crap my chemical romance welcome to the black parade but it's about it's the story of Oliver Twist set in the 1800s in, in like France. So like that's like my big dream. <laughs> so write you're, a musical so you're, you're going to have music- to spend a lot of money on that. On, uh, uh, yeah, that's favorites. a lofty goal. Um, I so, think it'd be fun. Yeah, sure. Uh, so well, let's move on to our last segment, which is rapid fire questions. This one is a, you're just going to speak from the heart, shoot from the hip couple multiple choice questions for the most part and just pick whichever tugs at you (laughs) all right you ready brett i am ready all right coke or pepsi coke star wars or star trek star wars all right mario or luigi mario now this one isn't multiple choice but we always have to ask um are you able to sing the Bagel Bites jingle? No. No? Okay. Do you remember it at all? <sighs> I don't... I don't... He's, he's like, absolutely not. <laughs> Wait, well, I remember... I remember... Um, I feel like I remember, like, a, a pizza one. Like pizza in the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at supper time. If That's you put it. Pizza on a bagel. You can have pizza anytime. That's it. That's it. You did it. I'm so proud. You, you are, are like... one of two people that we've. Uh, no. Yeah. No. No. Yep. Yeah. I think one it's of only two people two. that have actually been able to do that, and we've we've had this question on for at least 12, 13 different episodes now. Mm-hmm. So congratulations. I I didn't. I, I honestly didn't think I'm I could stoked. Do it. You could I'm do so, it. so. I knew you could do it. I knew you and, had it. I, I had yeah, there's yeah, that's that's a, that one that one goes way back. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But like it's one that's stuck with me forever. <laughs> it's, a, it's a classic. It classic. is. All right, we got three more. Um Gwen Stefani or Haley Williams. Huh. Well, it's not easy. I'm a, I, I mean, Haley Williams is definitely a better singer. Um, not that Gwen isn't a good singer, but in, from my age bracket and when I grew up, like "Don't Speak" was like a massive, like oh, so monumental good. song. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna have to. So 
I'm sorry, Haley. I'm going to have to go with Gwen on this. It's it's okay. We'll see. Right. When we have um, like between two different people or artists, which we'll get to that as well, both of them are phenomenal. Like, I mean, they both are both are genre defining yeah. artists. And, oh, and, and it could be argued that Haley Williams uh, or or people like Haley Williams or even music the way we know it. Um, wouldn't be where we are without building off the shoulders of Gwen Stefani and bands like No Doubt. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so when we ask these, it's just always personal preference or and, and things like that because it's hard to usually pick between them because they're both great. And that's what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> uh, All right, hard next shell, hard question. Hard shell or soft shell tacos? Hard shell. Right. All right. Dude, what is with this hard shell craze Dude, right now? I, I was actually just thinking earlier about how much I really wanted a hard shell taco. Like I wanted like five of them. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, I, they, it has to be. Here's the thing, though. I have to qualify that. Um, I'm a bit of a Mexican food snob and mm-hmm. it needs to be they need to be like like deep fried. So they're mm-hmm. like, you know, the real like they can't be like ortega like right you like, know like t- those taquitos? they have to be, they have to be the real like they have to be like the real the, the real, real thing yeah. yeah that's fair no i feel i feel that and and sometimes though like i typically will prefer soft shell tacos but sometimes there's just like i get this like gnawing at my brain that gosh do i really want a hard shell taco right now <laughs> and and sometimes you just gotta have it so this is the last question some 41 or yellow card. Well, I toured with yellow card and they were really fun dudes to tour with. So definitely yellow card. Hell yeah. There you go. Once again, you know, both great bands, both great musicians. And you have a, you have a, a pull towards one. Yellow card is pretty sick. They're, they're both, both great. They're, I love them. Both they, I, lo- I they, love them both for different reasons. Right. Well, they both did two completely different styles of that genre. That's true. That's true. Well, Brett, you did it. You made it through the podcast. Congratulations. Um, this has been this has been an absolute blast, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on this podcast. Yeah, thank you guys. I had fun. Thank you so Absolutely. much. And with thank that, you know what? We're gonna let Brett get back to it because he's got a brand new movie that he's not allowed to talk about apparently because he's too cool for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to get back to you but brett thank you so much for your time guys this has been another episode of where did all my friends go a podcast about life in the music industry and we'll catch you guys next week thank you so much for watching please hit that like and subscribe thank you to those who already are check us out on spotify apple music or anywhere else you stream your podcast if you're in the position to help us grow head over to our patreon at www.patreon.com slash unsigned pop punk let us know in the comments below who you'd like to see on the show and what other content you'd like to see thanks so much